I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today. Andy, according to my friend, Internet, this is what Letterboxd is. Letterboxd is a global social network for grassroots film discussion and discovery. Use it as a diary to record and share your opinion about films as you watch them, or just keep track of films you've seen in the past. Showcase your favorites on your profile page. That is a lot. You bet it is. That's why I want you to tell our fair listeners just one thing you do with Letterboxd that has changed the way you watch movies. Let them have it. Okay, are you ready for this? So ready. I love lists. As of today, I have 246 lists in my account. I use them to track the movies I watch, organize them in all sorts of different ways. I track them by hand. I clone lists from other people. I use them to plan what I'm going to be watching. All sorts of things. I just, I love creating lists. It's a fantastic tool. Sexiest animated characters. Andy, what is this? We love Letterboxd. And if you're a movie lover, we are sure you will too. And when you upgrade from the free account, you will remove ads and support the great Kiwi team building this amazing service. Just use the discount code NEXTREEL or visit thenextreel.com slash letterboxd to get 20% off your pro or patron membership. And it works for renewals as well. Welcome to Trailer Rewind. Every month we go back and look at a film that Pete and Andy talked about in their trailer picks from the regular show. We watch it and have a very spoilery discussion about it. Today, we're going to talk about cake. I made a list, and then I checked on the internet to see if they were different in Mexico. This is a lot. Try to sedate the small city. I think you have big problems. Receptivo. I want you to verbalize to Nina how her suicide affected you. She jumped off a freeway overpass, landed on a flatbed truck heading to Mexico. Her body got stuck in customs for like a week before Nina's husband could even claim it. Way to go, Nina. This was Pete's pick from January 2nd, 2015. And in his discussion about that, Pete talked about the cast and focused on Jennifer Aniston, mentioning that he thought she maybe stood a chance for an Oscar for this film. And Andy agreed that she looked amazing in this trailer and agreed that it looked like an opportunity for her to show that she's capable of some powerful performances. This is the first time that I didn't listen to the actual trailer picks. I didn't get a chance to do that before that. So uh, were there any highlights? What was it up against? Was there anything interesting there? You know, I, I just listened to this little clip of it. 
because th- this yeah. was this was really I think even though it's only over a little over a year ago, they weren't spending as much time really picking apart their trailers sure. on this sure. one. So that there, there were just a few brief comments on this one. So that that's really about all they had to say on that one. Got it. Interesting. What which show was it on? That was the January second, twenty fifteen, and it was the Poseidon Adventure. Oh, interesting. So totally a, a, a oh. dynamic difference. There. <laughs> they were in their disaster series or something like <laughs> well, that. Well, I, I guess there could be some. I guess some there's some, there. This is a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> we're changing it up with this one. I mean, yeah. the, the past two films have been romantic dramas that really had some unconventional structures to them. This is not that kind of film at all. This is really a more straightforward, typical drama. had a lot of things that felt like those small independent films. Uh, You know, smallish cast, really straightforward story. My first question was, is this something that, you know, the other two, Comet and Mr. Nobody, we talked about, you know, the rewatch and going back to find those things. What about the rewatch value of this one? Well, this was a rewatch for me. So, uh, and the reason why is because it, you mentioned that uh, Andy had, or either Andy or Pete mentioned that Jennifer Aniston had a chance to win an Oscar for this film. I don't know if she was actually nominated for that. I actually should look that up in IMDb, but um, my wife and I are members of a number of different uh, unions from the industry. And so we actually received Cake as a part of the nomination for the SAG Awards that she received for it. So, um, so I watched it at that time and I actually watched it ahead of most of the movies that we just mentioned there, Comet, Mr. Nobody, and some of the other things that we'll get into and and think about like demolition. Um, I saw cake first before all these. And um, as, as in terms of a rewatch, it, um, it, it didn't have any more depth, I guess, than the original story, but the same feelings were there. And uh, it, Jennifer Aniston's performance is, is really phenomenal. It's, it's something that's very contrary to her character uh, in, in other things she's done. It's, very, it's, it's really her stepping out of the box, and I think she does a great job of it. And I think that's the real big takeaway for me on this film. There are a lot of really artful things that, that happen with it as well. And it does, it is a commentary about grief. It's a commentary about tragedy. It's a commentary about pain. Um, And so those things are all interesting if you are into that sort of film, but it is very straightforward. And the biggest thing for me, and even watching it again this time, is really looking at how deep Jennifer Aniston is willing to go. And and you really get that when you watch it, even even the second time. Yeah, that was some, this is a film that, I just watched a couple of days ago, but it has really stuck with me. And you, you mentioned Demolition and another one of those films where we're looking at characters struggling with the grieving process. And this it, it's compounded because of the, the chronic pain. Yeah. Um, but it's, it, the, it's a real, this, for me, this film really focused on the performance because the, the, the story is, is really simple and straightforward and really sparse. We don't get a lot of exposition we're, we're dropped right into the story with her at you know sort of the chronic pain you know support group uh so we we don't know why she's there where what the source of the chronic pain is we, we slowly get those pieces sort of doled out to us throughout the film we don't have a lot of exposition explaining this or her her monologuing about anything that about the past it's everything is very much set in the the present and discussing on what's going on now and and how she's dealing with all these people and situations and her sort of emotional response to you know sort of the the pain that she's in right now 
Yeah. And in that regard, I think it, 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 it suffers for me as a movie watcher. I, I, if you compare it to demolition, I, I really enjoy the, the ability to go along in the story with Jake Gyllenhaal as he sort of, as we discover his grief as well, the sort of discovery of Jennifer Aniston's condition here was, was tough for me in terms of the story. It put me into, and this might be by design if you look at the way the film is made, but it's, it's to set up a, a situation where you don't understand her grief. And, and for a while, you don't even understand that it is grief. It's just pain for a long time. So um, it, it, I, I prefer the way the demolition went about that. However, it is the same sort of theme of uh, sort of everyone's labyrinth of grief is different. And this is, these were the complications that she had to deal with in figuring out how to go on in her life. So the basic story to sort of set things up, you know, we've, we've talked about this. So Jennifer Aniston's, you know, character of, of Claire Bennett, we've got this, this chronic pain it, with this small film. It's um, I guess some similar to demolition. We get this section of, of her life. There's there, this is not the typical, uh, I guess, Act one, act two, act three story where things are building towards one sort of big ultimate moment. Um, this isn't the big, you know, inspirational, I'm going to overcome all my challenges and it's going to hit all those those key points along the way. It's very, I guess, in a certain way, episodic. You can break it down into, into specific sort of sections of where we start with her in the midst of her grief and, and how she sort of moves to the next phases of grief through the film. But it's really very short segments that are somewhat interconnected, but I don't see the traditional like one main narrative thread carrying us all the way through with the film. And I think that's one of the the challenges of a smaller film like this, where it's very character driven. It's here's Claire in this situation. So here's, here's Claire at, you know, with her breakdown at the support group where she just basically tells everybody off. It's sort of, I guess, triggered by the suicide of one of the members in their support group, um, Nina, who is played by Anna Kendrick, who appears to Claire at several multiple times throughout the story. We can maybe come back to if, whether those are key moments or what's going on. But that sort of sort of the instigating event at the beginning of the film, because it, it's perhaps pushing Claire a little bit more into where she needs to go in her story. But we get you know scenes with she finds out uh, who where Nina's husband is. Um, We've got scenes with Claire and her housekeeper and their quest to find drugs because clearly Claire is way beyond the regular dosage and, and prescriptions that she should be on because of this this chronic pain. So we've got these different little episodes that I sort of see as a, a collage of Claire's pain and grief. Yep. Yep. A collage of pain is a great way to talk about this film. And and you mentioned character driven. That is what this is. It, this, the story is there and there's and there's a purpose to the story, but this is really about the character and and how the audience can relate to the character how the audience takes in the pain and grief of what uh of what uh, claire is going through and so claire's not a very likable person at the beginning of the film so why why do we as an audience why do we are we why do we go along this journey with her what is it that we that uh i guess draws us into her story at which point? I have to ask at which point, because I think the film does the job of endearing us to Claire through her story throughout. But at the beginning, I, you know, and I, I hate to say it, but I think it's because it's Jennifer Aniston. Oh, okay. yeah. So, it's, it's like, <laughs> so 
the audience will give Jennifer Aniston a good 10 or 15 minutes to sort of see where she's going to go. Even though she's cheering for Rachel Green, you are always cheering for Rachel Green, even if she's coming off as just this really obnoxious, just an angry person. Manipulative. Manipulative. Even. Right. Yes. They called her in the film. Yes. So things start to shift though. Right. So, so we've got the, we've got the Nina incident that's that's sort of the the beginning of the story so i guess the the first i guess transition that i start to see happening is when she she tracks down uh nina's you know husband roy played by sam worthington right. so it's sort of her first attempt to really reaching out to someone else outside of the support group that she's basically been asked not to return to her you know her housekeeper that she just basically is you know it's her person to do what she wants her to do it's it's a very uh, commanding, you know, relationship. You know, Silvana, go take me here. Silvana, go take me here. Go do this. Go do this. When she meets Roy, it's a very different interaction that's going on. Sure. It's a different support. Yeah. A different type of support. So she manages to find out Roy's address, goes to the house, doesn't tell Roy who she is. She c- comes up with a story that, oh, she used to live there. Roy lets her in. She you know, basically tours the house saying it's her, her childhood home. And then upon leaving, Roy reveals, oh yeah, he knew she was lying all along and wanted to see how long she was going to go on with this game. Would you give her points for execution, right? Yes, I, yes, exactly. Points for execution, which I thought set up an interesting dynamic with a, of, of sort of how he's dealing with his grief. Because here you've got somebody intruding on his life. He's going through this grieving process. He's just lost his wife and his wife was suffering from chronic pain but we don't know why we don't know the story yeah from, they, and they never talk about that do they, they, they never don't talk that so and, and they've they've got a child together she left uh she she committed suicide jumped off just uh, jumped off an overpass on the highway so so Roy's going through that grief and here you know claire just shows up in his house for her own purposes which is to find out more about nina yeah and uh, yeah and that purpose is is unclear that's, that's part of that labyrinth of grief there again. Well, I think part of it is, at a certain point, Claire is wondering if she has the courage that Nina had to go through with just ending the pain. Because there's mm-hmm. there's a scene at the at the rehab center in the pool where she grabs a bunch of the weights and, and jumps yeah. into the pool. It's, but a, it's a suicide attempt. A it suicide really attempt, is. yeah, and, and can't do it. And I think it's that, what is it that Nina had, or what was going on with Nina's life that she had that ability to follow through that Claire doesn't. Right. And so that's, that's the one thing I can really see is that connection that she has with Nina of sort of speaks to the, what type of person she truly is. Is she somebody that has maybe the strength of will to go through with a suicide or not? Hi. I really didn't think I'd see you again. I have to get something off my chest. Okay. I am in a lot of pain. I know. You may know, but sometimes I suspect that you think I'm this uncooperative old bitch who's just making all of this up. Do you want to get better? Really? Do you want to? I do.
Well, and you know, as you're talking about this, it's, it's reminding me of another movie, which I think is the same year, which is Birdman. And, um, you know, and you, if you're talking about courage or conviction, when we're talking about suicide, it's an interesting, interesting language to use about it. But, um, you think about Nina, the, the apparition, the, the Anna Kendrick apparitions that show up or hallucinations that show up and, and, and what, what part of Claire, what part of Jennifer Aniston's character is bringing that to her, whether it's the drugs or whether it's the suicide, whether it's the depression. And then you compare it against a movie like Birdman where um, the insanity, for lack of another word, it just never leaves him. So what is she being tested here? Is she being tested to see how much she loves life or how much she needs release from it i don't know I, I think it's a great question to ask in terms of this and i think i think it's purpose purposely left open-ended in this film and that you know that alone is is one of the great parts of this story in that they're not trying to tell you they're just trying to again go back to that character driven thing of this is claire and um and what is she going to do how is she going to go through this how is she going to navigate this in her life yeah i think that that really is the strength is that it it presents presents these characters in these scenes and and leaves it to us to really decide how we're going to take these. It's not presenting us with a, with a specific agenda or point of view or, or message per se. I think that we can see the journey that she takes, but again, it's, it's giving us this almost very, you know, with, with just from an point of outside point of view for us to make our own decisions about. And it's, so if we're going to talk about, you know, this being really character driven piece, we've, we've talked about Jennifer Ines and we should probably talk about, cause there are, there's, you know, some recognizable faces in this sure. film, maybe in an unrecognizable way sometimes. Uh, because I, I had looked at the cast list and I saw, oh, Felicity Huffman and William H Macy. So I thought, okay, you know, I'll, I'll recognize them and we'll see what they bring to this film. This is you know going to be really interesting to see having you know these these actors in this film and what they bring to it. And they have very, very small parts. William H. Total Macy. Total screen time, two minutes, 10 seconds. <laughs> it's William H. Macy. I think it's 30 seconds where Jennifer Aniston basically, you know, pummels and kicks him. Powerful uh, scene. Powerful but, but, scene. But a very powerful scene at a, at a crucial point in and the story. Perfect, and a perfect cast too. Honestly, like it's William, that, that is William H. Macy's role in life is to be that <laughs> humble, terrible, meek. Uh, I'm sorry, but you can't beat up on him enough because he deserves it. Role. And even the, love that guy. Love that. Guy. Oh no. I love the, love that guy. And he brings, role. brings the, the William H. Macy to that role in the few seconds that he's there, but <laughs> being true to this film, still who he is and what he has done is not particularly clear. No, no. That's for the viewer. That's it's in your mind, you know, and it, but it's, it's terrible. I mean, it's clear that it, whatever he did was terrible. Oh, there was, he did something and there was a trial and he feels horrible and guilty for that. And clearly it's linked to, to Claire's loss and her, you know, yes. her pain, her emotional pain oh. and her physical pain right. as well. But coming at a, a key point where she is having lunch with, with Roy and his son, and it's this sort of, starting to heal, you know, being social. And then this comes back. Uh, William H. Macy's character, Leonard shows up at the door, uh, wanting to apologize for what he has done. And it just, I think reopens everything up for Claire. Um, Felicity Huffman, who plays Annette, who is the uh, coordinator of the uh, chronic pain support group. Uh, We have a couple scenes with her, um, I think the most memorable is perhaps when 
Claire is threatening to to um, bring a lawsuit against yeah. against the group uh, for. I'm trying to think of the exact phrasing, but basically discriminating against her by kicking her out of the group pretty much because they just don't like her. Right, right. And she used much better words because she's a lawyer. I mean, yes. Claire is a lawyer in the film, but Felicity did a great job in that. I mean, she was visibly shaken in the way she said, but, but Claire, but a lawsuit. <laughs> I mean, I was very impressed with Felicity Huffman. Yes. And then uh, when Claire later tries to make amends by bringing a very large and expensive bottle of vodka uh, that's a great scene to it to Annette and that says that's fine just put it on the floor D- don't come near me I don't want you anywhere near me just put it on the floor that'll be fine thank you yeah and interestingly yeah. about Felicity so I when I watched this the first time it had been before I had ever worked with her at all in this last season I worked with her on American Crime and she's such a fantastic person and she's such an entertainer and a leader and a, a, just a cast thing and so now to see her in this role and to think about her in a different way was just awesome for me I, I she's great and I think I think honestly anything she does is awesome the scene that you're talking about with the vodka it, I didn't get it I didn't understand what the thing was my, my in, inside I was thinking wait is she in alcoholic is this yeah is this like an indecent proposal of apology i I couldn't i don't know i was overthinking it but it was great and the tension was awesome and the shot uh the wide shot looking out of the windows in the dark where jennifer aniston puts the vodka and you've got the separation of the two women it was just really good stuff really really great film it just there's so many ways that those those simple things i think are artfully done in a way that really elevates you've got the you've got the experienced you know, actors that can bring all of that to just a few lines and how they present that, that, that elevates this film. But then also you do have the artful presentation, you know, the, how the scene is, is presented to us gives us a little bit more about that, gives some emotional weight to it. You know, as we often say, you know, adds that flavor to that, because this is a very simple, straightforward film. It, that doesn't have, you know, a lot of, uh, flourishes that draw attention to themselves uh but i think just you know looking at how the film is is structured um really carries that through and i love how you brought up at the beginning uh of this show about how different it is from the last few movies we've talked about in trailer rewind because there's all this subjective story element in in what we've been talking about and there's really sort of a, a sort of a, a fourth wall kind of creativity that isn't really here this is really taking a character driven film and then making it beautiful in terms of the emotion and it, it does a good job of that it's it's intense uh and what is what is felicity says at the end of that scene she says apology apology accepted now leave yes <laughs> and that to me is is exactly uh, is is exactly how this film is. It's very straightforward, emotional, hard hitting, and uh, and it's worth seeing for that reason. Yeah, it, it is, and I think you know we we talked about Felicity and and William H Macy, and you know minimal screen time for those, but really the film is carried by Jennifer Aniston and then Adriana Barraza, who plays Silvana. It's really the the two of them. It's 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 like the most unusual buddy movie you will ever see <laughs> yeah. uh, because. Claire will just take Silvana and just ask the the most of her to take, you know, it's time to go to Tijuana. You know, we're going to go, right. she's out of drugs and then they get there and the pharmacist starts asking questions and she's like, well, what is this? I thought I didn't need a prescription. And, you know, yeah. clearly it's, you know, she's used to having things go a certain way. 
Yeah, and, and Silvana in that scene, Silvana puts her hand up on the register, like, "What are you saying?" You know, I don't know. Yeah, that buddy aspect is is always evident when they're on the road together. Yes. Uh, so, just I think to me, that's what what really held the film together was the dynamic of of their relationship together. Did you that, get the sense that Silvana was part of the family before the tragedy? I, I did. That's yeah, I I think so. That's the that's the only thing that makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, that she would stay with her because she'd seen what had ha- happened to her to put her where to put Claire where she is right now. Right. Because I I think she wasn't always that way. We you know she you mentioned she was an attorney. There was a a very brief scene where she she's talking in the car and it, I think she was an ACLU attorney because they're going to some neighbor oh they're in the car she's like oh are we in orange county right now she has some quite disparaging things to say about the people of of orange county do you only see white people (laughs) yes then we're in orange county (laughs) exactly so it so clearly i think it was she was an attorney for those that could not represent themselves those that you know sort of the underdog so somebody that i think traditionally would be considered someone of a good heart and then to see where she is now um i in in my head, Silvana is is someone that is sticking with her because she's seen that and knows that she can can be that good person. Yep. yep. And we and we so and we we start to see her get there, you know, slowly through the film. The the I think for me the the crucial turning point for me where where things start to shift because I, I it's this very slow transition of Claire just being you know mean and demanding and thought okay how how long can this go but i i went back and i said okay there's a there's a pivot point here claire is at the rehab center talking with her physical therapist and she says no she she really does want to get better because we've seen earlier where it's like this is too hard this hurts you don't understand my pain and and claire has then turned and is now committed to she does want to get better yep yeah that was a great turning point for me that was definitely i think the whole film is a really wide circle it's a really wide turn right like you mentioned it's very slow for me the most emotional turn for me is this sounds terrible but when she's lying on the railroad tracks and she does the i was a good mother oh yeah that thing it's just oh just emotionally speaking and the and the the music cues through that section everything was just really opening up the heart to truly accept change um and it was so tense too with just a very subtle way to make things emotional and tense and uh, really good really positive that that sort of long term that you're talking about so after the the train incident so after we've, we've sort of made this turn um they encounter a runaway that claire invites back to her house and we think oh claire's now bringing somebody into her home um and has, I think, one demand of her that she she requires this girl to bake a cake for yep. her, yep. Um, which she does, and then proceeds to steal Claire's purse and, and money and all that. But it doesn't phase Claire, really. She's like, I can cancel my cards, whatever. She takes the cake because it is um, Roy's son's birthday. Casey, yeah. And so this is so she takes the cake over there, which then comes back to the title of why is this film called cake yeah why is this film called cake because there are there are two cakes there's the the cake that the runaway bakes but there's also the cake that 
is it Nina? Oh, Nina. Nina brings to her in a in a drug dream. Yeah. In a, in a, yes, and I believe that's right before it's Nina getting the shivers. Yeah, jumps out the jumps out the window at the hospital in yeah. hallucination. Yeah. Yes. So why why cake? What does the mm. cake mean? What does it represent? Is there something that it resonated for you that sort of supported its use as the title? Because I'm thinking back to our discussions about comment. And the use of yeah. that word yeah. as the title of that film, and as something that I I thought about this of like, I mean, first off, what else do you call this film? And I I don't come up with a better title. But if you're going to pick cake, what does that say about about Claire about right. her story? Yeah, I don't get it as the title. I, and when I think about it for the metaphor, I, I don't know what else I'd call it. So I don't have an answer to that question. But if I think about it for the metaphor, I think. You know, the story that Anna Kendrick, that Nina tells about the question that they were asked in support group saying, if you could do, if you did not have pain, if you did not have chronic pain, what's the one thing you would do? And her answer was, I would bake a cake from scratch for my son, Casey. And that, so what does that mean? You know, asking that question, what does that mean in terms of the pain? So what I would say is that, Anna Kendrick, that Nina brings her the cake and then commits suicide in the hallucination, showing that she's never going to be able to do that because that's when they have that conversation. And the, I guess what, you know, it's, this seems awfully simple as a, as a definition for me, but this is what I'm taking from it in that Jennifer Aniston uh, gets on her mission to, to have the cake from scratch for Casey because Nina is no longer in pain. Oh, she did okay. commit suicide right and to say that that was nina's wish and that's in and that might be not fair to the story that might not be fair to claire it might mean something more to her too but i think her ability to affect that or to make that happen was her tribute to nina and allowed her to get to get to get off the ghost of nina and to right. move on into her own grief right you know, that's that's where i'm taking it no and i i think that that makes sense. She's able to really resolve whatever sort of issues she's had that have caused these appearances of Nina to come to her. It's a way of she's able to move past that and then gets us to sort of the final final shot in the film, which my wife and I discussed quite a bit after the film, because throughout the, throughout this movie, you've got Claire who's just in tremendous amount of pain, and she she is a passenger in the vehicle, always in a reclined position. And early on, we see that she's lecturing Silvana about which street she's on, and it's clear that Claire knows which streets have less potholes and bumps, because it appears that that jarring motion of the vehicle causes her a lot of physical pain. Right. However... The final scene of the film, she sits up. Yep. Finally, before yeah. the, before they leave, and so first instinct is okay. She's mentally, you know, in a place where she's overcoming her pain, right. the physical pain. But then my wife brought up a, a point. She said, "Well, I, I think there might be more to this," and she said, "Because we we just get flashes of what happened, and it I think." and piece together there was some type of automobile accident and is it that claire is in a reclined position because she can't bear to be upright in the car to see what's coming at her right that's what i that's how i interpret it yeah that she's now in a place where she's ready to sort of face the future 
and move forward rather than being in this passive reclined position and sort of looking at things askance from the side rather than head on and taking on life head on. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's how I took it. Is there another way to look at it? No, I think that's, it's either that or you're taking it as just, you know, I'm sitting up because I'm going to gut it out and get through my pain and I'm, I'm making progress in dealing with my physical pain. But I think there, there is much more. It's, it's, it was the way, I guess that final shot is what I expected from this film of, you know, that close up on Claire, you know, facing, looking at the camera because the film has been about her to see her actually take sort of control of her life. There's been a lot of things that have happened and she's ready to, to move to that next phase. Right. And you know what? It's interesting. We had a user post on our Facebook, uh, or one of our audience folks, one of our followers put paste on our, our Facebook uh, this week about the first shot, last shot. Um, there's a, there's a real, there's a, there's a, uh, a YouTube video out there that shows a bunch of oh, first yeah. shot, last shots things. And for oh, yeah. a film like this, uh, I'm going to it right now to take a look and see who had done that. Um, for a film like this, it's really interesting to think about because that last shot is so important, so pivotal to the movie. Um, I'm trying to remember what the first shot was. Do you remember the first shot? Uh, it's, I know they're in the was support. Was sitting in the chair? It's, the it's her group? sitting in the chair at the support group. Yeah. That's what I thought too. So, that, yeah. so I don't know that the first shot is as interesting as the last, but the last is so key to this. Um, I think it's, I think it's really interesting when you try to put that bookend in, uh, in, in context. Yeah. So well, we, we spent a lot of time talking about the cast. I think we should, pro- you know, we give some credit to Patrick Tobin for writing this. Cause I, 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 you know, think, this could have easily been the, I guess, typical independent film that's taking on an important issue and trying to say too much with it. And I think, you know, Patrick showed a lot of restraint with the script of this in terms of the amount of information we get and really trusting the audience to to piece things together or, or allowing them to bring their own sort of meaning to this film instead of giving us everything to to set up already for us that there's a lot of i think work that the audience can do with this film and ask give you a lot of questions to ask yourself and i want to give him credit i think he deserves it you know and i i I always love when they give the audience credit for that i i think you know i mentioned before that i think i like the way the demolition did it better but i i admire the courage of a writer to to show and not tell um, what's happening with the character as it goes. And, you know, again, just for me, the way I looked at it, I, I appreciated the knowledge in Demolition, but I think this is a really strong choice. And I, I really believe that he deserves credit for, um, for building the story in that way. And then our director, uh, Daniel Barnes, um, who's done a couple other films. One of them was another that... Phoebe in Wonderland was on Netflix forever and was always in my queue of something I wanted to get around to see, but never got to see. So now having seen Cake, uh, I'm like, makes me a little bit more likely to to watch Phoebe in Wonderland as one of those films that of the 50 that may be sitting in a queue of like, yeah, maybe I'll get around to it. Feeling the, the artfulness and craft that he put into Cake makes me more likely to go back and explore some of his earlier work. 
that you know i wanted i think it's it's well done it's well directed and as i'm going through the casting crew here now too i'm seeing that actually the cinematographer on it is rachel morrison who is also was the director of photography for the episode of american crime that i worked on with um felicity huffman was last year which is awesome and she's fantastic uh love love working with her she's super awesome super up and comer comer great creativity and the reason why i wanted to bring her up in addition to the director is because there was a point in the film one of my favorite shots where i was when she when claire comes to the and sees the gift from her husband of returning the picture of her and her son to the spot above the couch saying that he he belongs here. I think is the word that he yes. used on the post-it. Yes. As, and we see, we follow Claire to the sofa as she, uh, she witnesses the picture from afar. We follow, follow her to the sofa in, in sort of a close up near screen. And I'm sitting there as an audience member and as a, as a camera operator thinking to myself, Hey, all I want to see is the flat shot of Claire on the couch with the with the picture behind her. That's what I oh, want next, and that's yeah. what I want. And and both the and the director cut it. You know, the editing, the director, they cut it, and Rachel had it shot, and it was perfect. And, oh, and yeah. one of my favorite shots of the film, and I already already mentioned the vodka shot. There's a number of those that are great. The underwater shot of of Claire floating in the pool. It's oh, yes. great stuff. Yeah. And I you know I would watch anything that Rachel does because I think she's that good, and I think. If 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 you're a fan of of that sort of aspect of film of the of the the film work in film, this is a character driven piece that that shows off some really great talent in Hollywood as well. Well, it's time to discuss our flick chart rankings ah, on this one. That's awesome. <laughs> Did you already rank it? I have already ranked it. Okay, okay. You go first. Tell me where. Okay, you go first. so this one came in at number sixty six on my flick chart of. Where am I? I'm at a hundred and something, 183 movies. So 66. So, oh, so it's in the upper half. That's great. Oh yeah. Um, so it landed in between because we talk about usually where it, it falls in between. This right. is really interesting because it, it came up against both of these to, to settle in this place. So it came just below Kingsman, the secret service. Oh, okay. And just above ghost world. So that's interesting. Did you have to pit those against each other at all? Yeah, I th- it came up against Ghost World, and I put it above that, and then it came up against Kingsman, and then and then it fell, and then it fell, fell below that because I, Kingsman's I, just just the fun. It's in of the top that. five. Yeah. So yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so now for you, so uh, how do you feel about that? Sixty six out of one eighty three. Is that a good spot? Yes, because it's a film that you know it sat with me, you know, and I it gave you know it kept sort of churning and thinking about about this film. So it's it's not one that I watched and walked away from and forgot about, you know, something like that. I wouldn't expect to be that high if it's it's forgettable. This is one. I don't know that I'll come back and revisit it a lot, but I think really in terms of the weight that it carried and the story that it told, it it's it's in a well-deserved spot there. Yeah, totally. And, you know, and so here's the reason I laughed or was excited to talk about Flickchart on this is because it's in my bottom half and I don't necessarily feel it belongs there. But I think we talked about last month when we did Mr. Nobody that I have a, a really tough blocker in the middle. You, do. you know, Pete yeah. and Andy had talked about how they had their old brother blocker for so long. Yes. I have true romance. Oh, that's, that's right. right. In the middle yes. for me. And yeah. it's totally unfair. Like, I mean, honestly, it's it, so every time I do flick chart on my personal flick chart, I have to com- I, I have to have that thing. Like, how do you compare cake to, to true romance? But anyway, so I picked true romance in that. So it put it yeah. in the bottom half. So right now, cake is in the spot of 80, 80 out of 116, which 
Okay, so it's between Syriana, so it's below Syriana, and it's but it's above Born Legacy. Oh, okay. And I think if I if I look at it on a smaller in a smaller scale, I think that's a good spot for it. But if I try to look at from the whole perspective, I think it belongs higher than that. It's it is a more powerful film than that. It's just you know the way that flip chart sets you up. Sometimes you have to sometimes choices. Yeah, sometimes you get those blocks. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, well... Yeah, and Born Legacy, it, that's relevant to us, too, talking about uh, where we're going uh, going from here on out. I was just going to say, now that we, we've rewound, we can fast forward to what's coming up on the next reel. Pete and Andy are continuing their disease series, mm. and I'm Another really oh, I'm really looking forward to some of the films, and they've got this, like, sort of... It wasn't, like, planned, and I don't want to say secret, but it's this unintentional Julianne Moore double feature that, because the series includes both Children of Men and Blindness. And I which, love Children of Men. Oh, I'm so excited they're going to do that. Love both those movies. And then, as you brought up, near the end of this month, uh, Film Board's going to be taking on Jason Bourne. So nice. time to, to revisit all, all, all your Bourne films. And I know that... Uh, Pete has mentioned uh, a couple months ago he took a knife skills class, so maybe he might have a chance against Jason Bourne. You know, like throwing knives? No, no, a knife like in the in, in the, the kitchen. kitchen in the kitchen. But you know, <laughs> Matt Damon with a pen, Pete with a knife. You know, there there Pete might come out alive. Maybe one. if he's working with Aaron Cross. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, it's been a great great pleasure talking with you tonight. I I think I'm going to go grab a piece of cake. Yes. Tasty. Go get some. Awesome. You know what I got the other day, Pete? Stephen King's latest. Want to borrow it? Do you know who you're talking to? What do you mean? Andy, when's the last time I read a paper book? It's been decades. I would much rather use Kindle or better yet, Audible. What am I thinking? I don't read paper books anymore either. I'm an audiobook guy all the way. For those of you looking to listen to the books behind the films we discussed on the Next Reel's family of podcasts, get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. There are so many great adaptations from these podcasts available in audio form. Stephen JJ talked about a lot of great ones like Odd Thomas. Isn't that series a favorite of yours? Oh, I love me some Dean Koontz. They also covered The Two Faces of January based on Patricia Highsmith's novel. I bet the book is far better than that movie. Oof. How about the Futurological Congress by Stanislaw Lem? That was the source for that quirky Robin Wright movie, The Congress. Crazy book. Definitely worth checking out. They also covered Lean on Pete, Leave No Trace, Aniara, Papillon, The Goldfinch, The Yellow Birds, and If Beale Street Could Talk. So many great adaptations covered in so many great conversations, not just on Trailer Rewind, but all of the Next Reel's family of podcasts. And you can get all of these as audiobooks on Audible, along with thousands of other great reads. Producing these podcasts is a lot of fun, but takes a lot of time. So, we're directly appealing to you, our dear listener. Please consider an Audible subscription to help support the Next Reel's family of podcasts. I've been using Audible along with my family for decades now. I love it, and I've read hundreds of books through it. Couldn't be more pleased with their service, and I know you'll love it too. Head to thenextreel.com slash audible and get your free trial. It really helps us out. And you have a world of over 200,000 audiobooks open to you. So much great material available. Dive in with a free trial and get your first free audiobook at thenextreel.com slash audible. Start listening to amazing audiobooks of your favorite movie source material with your first free audiobook today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible. 